and welcome to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. Uh, this is myself, Josh Hartley, uh, my co-host, Ben Porter. Good evening. And we are joined by our friend Callum Flint this evening. Good evening, guys. Hello, how are we doing? Yeah, not too bad, though. Doing good, good. Doing good. Good, good. So, uh, a couple of things that we're going to talk to you about this time. Uh, we are, our, our main feature, if you will, is going to be on the creation of characters for gaming purposes. Uh, you most often at pen and paper RPGs such as yep. Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, but also other games use uh, an element of character creation and role playing. So well, I think in particular, um, we we'd uh, discussed character creation for um, campaigns and war games. Yeah. So we're going to have a chat about that, mm-hmm. but uh, first let's have a you know let's have a catch up. See what 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 gaming stuff have we been up to, and what's come out in the news of the last uh, couple of weeks since we last recorded. So we um, there was the Nova Open mm-hmm. in Virginia in the US last week, mm-hmm. and um, uh, Games Workshop can, are continuing with this theme of attending third party events. And actually revealing future content. Yeah, which they they notably never used to do. No, it's a, it's a huge. Um, Not direct, even the likes of like um, Essen, which is the big, uh, probably I, I, probably apart from maybe Adepticon in the United States, Essen's like the big board game show. Uh, well, I think we, we 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 talked about it recently. Um, that they they've got Adepticon for mm. the Midwest. Yeah. Because I think that's Chicago. So Nova's the big one for the East Coast. Uh-huh. And then they've got the Las Vegas Open yes. for the West, Southwest. So, you know, with a country that size, understandably, they've each got... Uh, one in each time zone. Basically. Apart from yeah. Hawaii. Apart but, from, yeah. I mean... Not sure the demand's there yet. I, do you know what? Like, if they had like a week long event in Hawaii, a g- gaming luau. Well, they do it for Magic the Gathering all the time. They always pick like for the the pro tours. They pick really nice places like Kyoto and Hawaii and <laughs> Dublin. Yeah. Don't don't think Games Workshop's quite there yet. No, probably it's, not. <laughs> get, it's getting there though. So certainly, the it's quite a, a positive shift in direction of late. Mm-hmm. Um, but at so at Nova they they showed the the Necromunda box set for the first time. Yes. Day. Um have you have you had a chance to look at it at all, Cal? I've seen a little bit. Uh, I saw the models on a Games Workshop newsletter. Yeah. So they they released uh, the fir- the like, the photos of the first few models um a couple of weeks ago and we mentioned it in one of our previous podcasts um and that we really like the look of the sculpts they released a lot more detail on what the starter box set is uh going to contain now you're going to get two complete gangs uh and as we thought it was going to be house goliath the muscle freaks yeah uh i think it's it's supposed to be like their like metal workers and yeah. things like that, aren't they? All, all their weapons are like repurposed mm-hmm. tools, essentially. Yeah. And House Escher, which is all women. Yeah. Um, and from reading the details about what's going to be included in the box, they describe the plastic miniatures as going to be very customizable, which is absolutely fantastic for Necromunda because you have loads of different loadout options mm-hmm. for all your gang members. 
So that's great that you know they're going to introduce um, a, a bit like a lot more variety in the standard models for that. So I think that's great. Yep. Um, the, for me, the contents of the box look fantastic, but my my big criticism is it's all flat. It's all very two dimensional, and that was the big appeal of Necromunda from way back was it was over multi stories mm-hmm. uh, of the science fiction yeah. like industrial terrain. Well, but at the same time, you can understand it because they they're really ramping up the the, the box sets, mm-hmm. um, and it's you know they're they're not just doing. Um, you know, like a, a starter set uh, for like forty k or Age of Sigmar, where it's two armies. Like we we saw Blood Bowl last yes. year, um, which I understand was very successful for the company as well. I think, I think a lot. Was, yeah. I think it sold a lot of units. So yeah, uh, that it's it's yeah. And uh, if you talk to people who've been playing the Games Workshop games for decades, that a lot of them will tell you like. Blood Bowl's one of the most highly regarded, yep. uh, and Necromunda's not that far behind it either. So it's great that they're returning to uh, the Hive City. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm gonna buy the starter set. Uh, neither Escher or uh, Goliath were the gangs that particularly appealed to me, so I might wait for some other gangs to come out before I dip my toe if you will I, th- I think I'll, I'll probably go for the box set yeah I, you I, I were was saying quite, yeah I was quite sold on House Goliath yeah well that Mad Max look it's just uh, yeah it's fantastic yeah. And the, 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 yeah they've released more photos of the models and they all look terrific so, yeah which is what we've come to expect from Games Workshop particularly in yeah. more recent years I mean as, as much as you know we all poke fun at them for the Games Workshop make the best toy soldiers in the world <laughs> slogan yeah. They kind of do. Yeah. Just, don't, just don't tell them that. No, don't let, don't, don't, don't let it get to their heads. Yeah. Like, that's the last thing they need. Yeah. So, there, so there was Nova. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as Age of Sigmar goes, uh, since the last episode, we've had the New General's Handbook. Yes. Which is, again, a, a positive direction shift because this one is actually um, called General's Handbook 2017. So they're actually moving towards a living rule set. Mm. Uh, so, so gone are the days in, in 8th edition where you were grateful to just get a book with a couple of scenarios every yeah. couple of years. Yeah, and you've, so you've had a chance to read through it. So what, what are your initial thoughts? The One, one of the things that I think is, is most exciting about it is the introduction of the open war cards. Mm-hmm. So it's a deck of cards where you've got um, you've got a little objective deck, a deployment deck, which is various different mm-hmm. uh, maps and things. They've got different. Uh, like some of them will have one player deploys their whole army in the middle, and then the other player deploys splits their army in half and deploys either side. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Uh, you've also got a twist deck, so it'll, uh, that'll be things like lashing rain. So, uh, 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 the the players all incur penalties to charging and shooting, and then you roll a dice at the start of every turn to see if the rain goes on and mm-hmm. off. Uh, you've also got uh, sudden death cards, uh, for when you're when one side's vastly outnumbered, they can get this sudden death condition mm-hmm. to even the odds, and you've got uh, ruse cards, 
which are you know they add a little bit of fun to the game. It's like a a trick or a trap that you can use in your opponent cool. opportune moments. So you can combine these in any number of ways to create thousands of different scenarios. Yeah. Um, which is great. Yeah. Um, so fantastic. And we we are going to be testing this out good and proper later this month. There's yes. the three of us and three of our other friends. We're going through to. Uh, do you think it's okay for us to plug the yeah, venue where we're going so. to? Yeah. We're going to Common Ground Games in Stirling, which yep. uh, it's. But am I right to say it, it used to be a snooker hall? It kind of has that. I get the it impression was, no, it, that it, it was something like that. It was at one time, I believe, yeah. a, a snooker hall, um, and is now, uh, I think, considered one of the best tabletop gaming venues in the UK. It's the biggest that I've been to in Scotland. That's that's yeah. without Good a doubt. Well, yeah, I've, I've actually spoken to a few guys that um, participate in the ETC and things like that, and 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 they've said. Um, it's it's definitely one of the best in the UK. So yeah, praise, praise indeed. Yeah, because there, there's some there's some good venues down south. I mean, we've we've been there before. We've always enjoyed it. So we we we're doing one of these, uh, big three b three v three. Yeah, three b three three v three battle. Um. Uh. So we'll uh when, once that's all happened, we'll uh, share more thoughts on the the uh, the new general's handbook. Yep. And how that all pans out, but you—you—that's not the only purchase you've made from uh, GW. No, um, they—they've released a new box set for Age of Sigmar called the the Blight War. <laughs> that's that's what it sounds like when you shake it violently. Yeah, sorry, man. Actually, <laughs> I hope I haven't broken anything. No, it's still all on the sprues, uh, but yep. this. Uh, so this is um, described as a battle of vengeance and corruption. It's. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the um, Stormcast versus Nurgle. Yep. And uh, I think. Un- De- de- Demons of Nurgle. Demons of Nurgle, Nurgle, I beg yeah. your pardon. Yeah. Distinction, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, and uh, what's a little different from a lot of their previous starter sets is rather than all of these being completely unique models, yeah. uh, there's two models that are you can only get in this box, and the rest of them are uh, like existing. Yeah, uh, plastic kits. They're also not um, easy fit, which is another because ah. nearly all the starter sets have been the the easy fit models where it's it's like uh, two components that you clip together. Which is it, whereas whereas the yeah. um, the with the ex- possible exception of the characters, uh, everything else um, is pre existing multi part plastic kits. Mm-hmm. So and and you know they they're, they're fantastic. They've got the, 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 my favourite models in these are the uh, Nurgle demons that like ride on the back of these giant mos- like rotting mosquitoes. Yeah. Which uh, they, I mean it sounds every bit as disgusting. Uh, they, they look every bit as disgusting as it sounds. Yep. And you've you've got the Nurgle general rides uh, upon the back of a giant snail. Yep. What. <laughs> So it it seems a bit redundant, but the from what I understand the 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 fluff or the the, the backstory behind this guy's name is Herticulus Slimux, and he is allegedly the first plague bearer. Mm-hmm. So he's he's one of the first of Nurgle's demons, but you on on the artwork as well you see he's holding a big pair of garden shears, so he is one of Nurgle's gardeners. 
So, so the idea is that um, this snail is stoking about the the mortal realms, as they're known, um, spreading corruption. And it, you, I think there's actually a little plough on the the back of the <laughs> snail, so it's ah, so, so there is, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's he's a little uh, a little horticulturalist. I mean, it, it looks threatening, but the, the the this army's not going to get far when like the the mortal realms realise that all they need to do is like just lay down a bit of salt. Yeah, and, <laughs> it, very, it reminds me very heavily of Never Ending Story. <laughs> Racing yes. snails. Yeah. <laughs> is he is he quite fast? Do, 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 does he I like does he have quite a good movement on him? Let, let's let's check and see. What let's he's, have, what he's let's have a look. I can't be fat. Like if 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 he if he's got like quite a fast movement, then I'm I'm dis I'm considering that like a flavor fail. Right, his movement five. So that's slow for cavalry. To it's it's slow for cavalry, but I guess for a snail of his size, it is fairly believable. He's still he's not getting far considering he's massive. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the it, for those listeners who don't play Age of Sigma, I think the, the the sort of standard foot soldier moves four inches, four or five, uh, four, or five. four for heavy infantry, yeah. and then five for lighter infantry. Yeah, yeah. So, but that but that's pretty much in fitting with with Nurgle. They tend to be quite slow. I'm, look, and, I'm and looking bulky. forward to him charging into someone and someone rolling uh, twelve on. Two D six, watching this snail just like <laughs> rocket, rocket towards yeah. the enemy. And you've also got that that great new book smell. Aye, as, I, as I'm looking through the the supplement that comes with it. So you've got uh, it comes with um, new allegiance abilities for mm-hmm. Nargo. You get this cool little uh, cardboard dial as yep. well in there, which has so all the the, the allegiance ability. Without going into it too much, is the cycle of corruption. Mm-hmm. So, l- like Josh is saying, it's a it's a dial. What happens is you roll a dice and you turn the dial to the corresponding number, and you get a different effect. And then each turn of the game, you turn the dial round another cycle. So it's it's quite unfitting with this idea of the character propagating diseases, with mm-hmm. them being the, the almost this perversion of. Uh, like a, an agricultural yeah it, it it's cool that you know the the game mechanics fit in with the sort of the fluff of the universe that the game is set in yeah i really like that so um, looking forward to uh, building that up and having a go with that yeah that's that's gonna be really cool to try out um i think I, i've said i'll i'll uh, i'll command the nurgle demons uh <laughs> well yes <laughs> i'll be i'll be I'll be the snail boy. <laughs> take, take one for the team. I'll take that mantle. Um, the, uh, just a, just a, a, a very quick thought, because um, now they're all on circular bases. This this Nurgle demon army could that be used in forty k as well? Then is that still a I don't, thing? I don't think there's rules for Herticulus in forty k, the main character. But That's I think a shame. everything else you can use because I wanted to mount a last cannon on the back of that snail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just going there, the last cannon firing and the snail just going far yeah, yeah. back <laughs> from the from the recoil. Yeah, <laughs> but no, you can you can use everything else except the the general. 
Okay. Oh, that's cool. That's really In cool. 40K. Um, so looking forward to giving that a go. Uh, other gaming news. Um, at the moment, right as we speak, Hascon is taking place in uh, New Jer- uh, not New Jersey, Rhode Island, uh, which is has uh, obviously the massive toy company Hasbro. This is the toy, uh, the toy giant. Yes, uh, toy titan. I think. <laughs> yeah, um, they, they they've sw- they swallowed Mattel. They they've swallowed everything. Kenner, That's, do you remember Kenner? No. What did Kenner used to do? They used to do the Star Wars figures. Oh right. Yeah, yeah, and then they get swallowed up. Yep. So so Hasbro are trying this new thing where they have a convention once a year uh, at Rhode Island. Uh, where they show off some of the products that they are releasing uh, over the next year. Uh, Hasbro have some giant licenses, like My Little Pony is going to be one of the big players there. (laughs) 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 Um, But notably for us, uh, Nerf as well, by the way, Nerf is part of the Hasbro Hasbro family. Uh, They're, they're, They're responsible for the Nerf. So... There you go. Uh, <laughs> Make of that what you will. Hasbro nerf everything. Yep. Oh, them bastards. <laughs> um, but uh, notably for us, uh, Wizards of the Coast are a subsidiary company now of Hasbro. So the two IPs that Wizards are responsible for are D&D, which we'll talk about later yep. in this episode. But Magic the Gathering as well. And uh, there's been a few bits of information coming out about Magic the Gathering uh, notably, uh, the new set comes out very soon, Ixalan, yep. uh, which is Pirates and Dinosaurs. Pirates and Dinosaurs. Which had, like, two, two pi- of my... Pi- pirate Saurs? Pirates. Well, no, no, sorry, the, the dinosaurs are not pirates. There's good, no, good, good to clarify. There's no, <laughs> there's no Captain T-Rex. Although they do have some slightly strange sometimes. Do they? Yeah, there's one which is... Uh, it's, uh, it's probably going to get this wrong. It's something like a Siren Wizard Pirate. Siren Wizard uh, Pirate. I'm, I'm picturing like a, a T-Rex with a massive peg leg. No, do you know what I'm wondering? Like, how does a T-Rex swashbuckle with those tiny arms? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, oh no, it, it it has the rapier on its tail. Prehensile tail. Yeah. 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 yeah that works. Yeah. Right. Uh, but no. <laughs> so, no, no dinosaur pirates. They are dinosaurs or pirates. <laughs> and we've. We've seen some new uh, cards from that set, but uh, another few products that are coming out for um, Magic the Gathering. We have uh, Iconic Masters. Iconic Masters. They have been... uh, And what they've done for Iconic Masters is they've actually printed the whole set, and they've got it for people to play at Hascon. So we're going to get the whole set over over the weekend. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, so uh, we've got... It's going to be spoiled to use the patter. Yes, 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 officially spoiled. Um, but, uh, yeah, I know things. Yeah. <laughs> so Ben doesn't play Magic the Gathering, so yeah. uh, in, I'm in sorry. You, in case you haven't picked that up. Important yeah. word, yet. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so we, we, we've seen some notable reprints. Some very expensive cards oh, yeah. uh, are coming out in this set, which is what we come to expect now. These This is one of the master sets, so this is... Uh, comes at premium price and a limited print run. Um, well, they they just did the same with Pokemon, didn't they? Were they um, yes for the twentieth anniversary? 
I think it was the 20, 20, 20 years. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was 20 the years, 20th anniversary. They, they reprinted uh, a load of the original cards. What kind of what what kind of money do like Pokemon cards fetch at the moment? Do you know? I, I, it's not quite Magic the Gathering levels, but it's still substantial. Yeah, yeah, but like a they, top they, tier deck yeah, in it's, Pokemon it's, will it's cost not, you. It's like not like. It's not like Beanie Babies where they lost their value. <laughs> well, it, you know, like I, the, I, the, the 90s came and went and then everyone stopped caring about beanies I was, and suddenly these beanies that people were paying hundreds and thousands for were worthless. I, I, I read a while ago about um, a divorce case where the judge had to divide yeah. this couple's... Have you heard this story yes, as well? The judge had to physically divide this couple's Beanie Baby collection in the courtroom. So did, did he do, like, the King Solomon thing and threaten to cut the, the Princess <laughs> Diana bear in half? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Can you and, then, and then, you know, the, the husband will be just like, yeah, fine. But then the wife goes, No! And then that's the one that it goes to because she genuinely cared about that beanie. There we go. <laughs> yes. I, something like that. Yeah. But, I mean, surely as an adult, if you, you get to the stage during your divorce, you, it's got to that level of pettiness where, yeah, the judge is having to physically like div- like choose, right, you get this beanie baby, you get that beanie baby. At that point, do you not start asking yourself some serious questions? Yeah, but I, I've still got mine. Like, I yeah, collect, yeah. I collected them when I was a kid. But uh, I, I think Charlotte will, will let me leave with the beanies if she's ever decided she's had enough with me. I don't see it. Th- I don't think it's going to come to that, man. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> That's reassuring. <laughs> but... Um, Back to Magic the Gathering. Um, yeah, so Iconic Masters has some very notable reprints. I think most uh, most valuable will be Mana Drain, which was only printed once in Legends and fetches something like £200 per card. Mm-hmm. So that's a great... Wait, so that's a, a spell. Yes, yeah. 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 So that, that's going to be a great lottery card to look out for as well. Um, you also They also revealed um, they're doing a joke set at the end of the year released on my birthday which yes. I'm not reading anything into yeah. um, <laughs> and um, this is the third part of their uncycle. they did uh, Unglued Unhinged and this is Unstable yes uh, and, remember yes <laughs> uh, and they, they revealed the only, I think the only thing they've revealed is they've revealed one card that's going to be in it uh to tie in with their other license, it is the Sword of Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you. I, I really like this. Uh, you, whenever your creature deals combat damage with it, you roll a d twenty, and if you roll a twenty, uh, you deal a lot more damage. Yeah. Just, just like in Dungeons and Dragons. There we uh, go. <laughs> um, and they've also revealed the basic land cycle, uh, which don't have any borders on the cards. Ooh. It is full bleed. As they, yes. as they say, and they look pretty. Yeah. They look they very pretty. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, Which reminds me mm-hmm. that Enchanters oh, yes. was successfully funded because yes. one of the stretch goals was borderless cards. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So. And, and not only was it successfully funded, 
It was every single stretch goal. Yeah, they they, they, they ran they ran out of stretch goals. Like when well when, when I got the email through confirming uh, that it's been successfully funded and we'll be getting this all sorted out for you, and they actually said we had no idea it'd be this successful and we wish we'd come up with more stretch yeah, goals. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so um, that that uh, they are estimating will be delivered in December. So looking forward to um, getting getting our hands on that, and uh, we'll let you guys know what that's like uh, once we've uh, had a chance to play it a bit more. Absolutely, yes. looking forward to it. Um, other uh, other gaming news at the moment. Then uh, what else other Magic the Gathering actually news is Magic's new arena. Oh yes! Oh, yeah, they're finally, uh, they're finally coming out with their answer to Hearthstone and Elder Scrolls Legends and all of this. Well, they've always had Magic: The Gathering online, but that uh, no one played that. Like no what? one that doesn't play Magic. Well, yeah, it's a, oh, you'd be, like, a lot of people play that. Who a lot don't of, use paper. They don't play paper Magic. I bet, really? I, 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 but, I, but nowhere near the same degree as the likes of Hearthstone and. Elder Scrolls Legends. And yeah, I don't think it's as big. No, no. Uh, I think the thing with Magic: The Gathering Online is most people who play it, they love obviously they love the game Magic: The Gathering. Yeah. But they maybe live in an area where there isn't such an active scene. That certainly was the case for me when I was living back in Carlisle. Um, I, I I much prefer just doing drafts. So th- this this one that's arena did you say it's called? Yes. So is it going to be like Hearthstone where you've got the 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 corny voiceovers and the animations and all of that? It does have a bit of that. I've not had a chance to watch yeah. the entire spoiler video yet. So okay. they had a video which they made recently, which has one of their new employees, uh, Jimmy Wong. Yes. And a couple of the guys from Wizards. For, for, about former it. pro, I believe. Um. Former personality, I think he may have been pro at one point. Like a, a streamer. Yeah, so he's, yeah. He's, he's definitely a personality in the magic community. Most does he? Is. is Jimmy Jimmy the one who does the Command Zone podcast? Or was I he involved? Was he involved in that? I'm pretty sure he was. Know, he might be right. Um, that 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 is a very popular um, podcast in yeah. the Magic the Gathering community, basically. And I think that I'm pretty sure. That that's where he's yeah. from. Um, so yeah, I, I I haven't watched this video either. I've seen a couple of like photos of yeah. of it. Like looks wise, definitely reminded me of Hearthstone. Very vibrant colours, yeah. very bright and I, I, looked well. Did you pl- did you play Hearthstone? I've seen Hearthstone. I hated Hearthstone because do you know the main character who's basically narrating the whole game is is a dwarf. And has the worst Scottish accent <laughs> ever. I mean, okay, so we are um, on a scale of one to ten, like where I mean, Scotty from Star Trek. Are we talking that bad? Yeah. Ooh. And you know, be, being a Scotsman, there's there's only so much of that you can listen to. Not not just being a Scotsman. I actually realised this quite recently. For anyone who has Pratchett knowledge. Ben is about as close to Corporal Carrot as anyone I've ever met. I don't know who that is. Without being ginger. People who listen to the podcast might get that right. Right, okay. Yeah, (laughs) so which uh, is that Discworld? Which which series? Corporal Carrot is one of the the watch. Yeah, now I remember now. 
Yeah, and I remember that. He is a six foot tall dwarf. Okay. Who is also ginger, but you're not ginger. I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So, um, yeah. So, so half that just the accent put you off half. Yeah, so. it's it's that thing that we've said before, where it's not enough just to have a good game. The the atmosphere. Yeah the sound effects, all of these things contribute and when something like that jars as much, it, it's enough to put someone off. It was enough to put me off playing yeah. it. Yeah, sure. I've, pl- I've played a bit of uh, Fable Fortune mm-hmm. um, which is still in uh, Game Preview I think, it's, which is right. Microsoft's uh, programme okay. for essentially it's like a prolonged beta where you yeah. can play a game in its alpha stage and mm-hmm. you can give feedback to the developers mm-hmm. and that sort of thing but you get a, a fully fledged copy of yep. the game you yeah. you essentially pay for it in advance and get to have a bit of a say mm-hmm. in how, how things proceed that's really good yeah. and in true fable fashion you've got the morality modifiers <laughs> as well. ah yeah, yeah. nice um, nice. And the 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 voice acting's uh, stellar there because you've got all the different uh, British regional accents, you know, <laughs> the, all the. I love that about the fate like yeah. the yeah. fable yeah. games, yeah. yeah. Um, but certainly, uh, I th- I'm, I'm I don't think it's much of a stretch to say this is probably Wizards of the Coast reaction to the likes of Hearthstone and the other digital uh, TCGs becoming a lot more popular. There's loads of them on Steam now. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, they're relatively... It, they can't be that difficult to program. Well, this right? is why they're so attractive to uh, software developers, mm. because compared to making like an open-world sandbox game, the, there's very little effort involved, mm. and uh, you get the, the controversial microtransactions in there as well, mm. as people playing, well, paying for... Uh, I've, I've always said, see, the, the, the business model of DLC and microtransactions, Wizards of the Coast did that, like, that. Yeah. that's Magic the Gathering, that buying the booster pack, That's, that's that, that was the it, original but uh, but microtransaction. But there's a line, isn't there? Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a difference between microtransactions and air quotes free-to-play games, where yeah, you can yeah. progress by giving them money. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you do get some DLC that's just a joke. I mean, you get things. Horse like, armor, <laughs> exactly. Horse armor, three hats. That don't but, but then they also made the Shivering Isles. Yeah. So they redeemed themselves with that. Well, it's it's all those things like buying hats or buying costume outfits. That's nonsense. Things yeah. not doing them. Yeah. It's always annoying me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. I think this uh, this new platform is definitely their reaction to sort of the growing popularity. Yeah. Uh, of that they have uh, said in their press release that they are very conscious that they want to make this uh, an enjoyable experience for viewers as well this is very much geared towards being streamed on twitch Mm -hmm. and i think they're gonna once this gets released properly they're gonna really push that with the animations and things like that yeah yeah and now it's in closed beta at the moment, everyone can um, apply, but I believe you increase your odds if you do um, if you take part in events in Paper Magic the Gathering. So if you go to the upcoming pre-release for Ixalan, we'll give uh, you a code or something. Yeah, like it's, yeah, I think that's how it works, and then it's a bit of a lottery system on how yeah. you uh, can take part. Well, it's, it's a little bit of a lottery, but then I do believe that they actually they need. Uh, people with you know from different parts of the globe and things like that yeah. because a, a lot of it's um, server testing and things yes, like that. Yes, exactly. 
and uh, it, the only platform it is available on at the moment will be PC, but they are going to be releasing it for other platforms. If they release it for Android, uh, I, my bank balance will... Uh, well, it won't be pretty. Yeah. <laughs> so if I, could, if, if I can draft Magic the Gathering in my pajamas on my sofa at home, <laughs> uh, that may well be the end of me. So pretty yeah. fun, Josh. Uh, so uh, having watched the video which is Gabby Sparks another magic celebrity uh, a guy called Amaz um, doing a bit of a demo it looks fantastic it has a magic the gathering celebrity not like David Copperfield no (laughs) (laughs) an important distinction to make I love the fact that David Copperfield's your go to celebrity (laughs) no for magic oh right oh ah ah sorry that went over my head yeah Yeah, there we go Slow Josh. <laughs> Slow Josh. So, uh, obviously, Gabby is well known for streaming on Twitch and also does a whole lot of stuff at magic events like judging, she, before judging, and yeah, she cosplays she, a bit and things like that. She as well. does a lot of commentary for like the Pro Tour as yeah. well. So, um, I always find that quite strange that, that magic cosplay is even a thing because you don't really have the same relationship with a character as you would in like a TV show or a video game. You ah. don't, but the outfits are impressive, and people just like. It, yeah, I suppose there is that, but you know, do you know what I mean? It's, it seems it just seems a bit odd. Well, you know, you, you, they they do write a lot of fiction for that universe. Yeah, okay. they, they, they they release it almost weekly on the website. Just about yeah. yeah, and you know, back in the day, they actually within each set they would release a novel. Mm-hmm. So like, just you know, telling the story of whatever plain that set was based it seems a bit of a shame that they don't do that anymore because that's that's something that irrespective of uh, how on the ball they've been with uh, updating the rule sets and content releases Games Workshop have always done that yeah I mean Games Workshop's IP they, they use that very wisely as yeah. well not just in like the written fiction yeah, that they licensing do but like, licensing things. it out yeah, yeah absolutely so that, uh, like I said, is in closed beta at the moment, and I think it's closed beta. There's a yeah. if you watch the video, there's a link at the top that says go to this link to have a look at what you can do, and it's all about getting like Ben was saying earlier, getting feedback from people and using that as input towards the game because it is yeah. still very very early S- days. Skill testing and things exactly. like that. Yeah. So it means that they can fix things that need to fix because obviously they've had issues before where they've tried to test things in house and it's not gone very well. <laughs> so they're trying to they're trying to get their audience more involved yeah. in that so they can fix yeah. problems before they come up properly. Good stuff. Uh, but it looks fantastic. Like there's, yeah. there's small animations and there's bits of uh, voiceover text mm-hmm. and when you play certain cards they'll say things and there's there's nice finishing touches they've put on there already. So it, it looks good. I'm excited yeah. for it. Yeah, likewise, likewise. And I think in other uh, news and what we've been up to, Ben and Charlotte have been have just started a new Dungeons and Dragons campaign as well. Is that right? Yes. Um, so uh, my good friend Charles Mitchell is, mm-hmm. is running it, um, and it's Water Davian Knights. So the the campaign is set in and around the the city of Waterdeep, which I think is that's probably the most famous. City from yeah. the Dungeons and Dragons universe, Neverwinter probably a close second. I was gonna say uh, Neverwinter is the only other one that I've heard of yeah. from that universe. So I'm playing uh, a dwarf ranger. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Well, no, I mean the dwarfs are given the the, the class the, that that can vary for you. <laughs> yeah, well, it's 
this is it because I wanted to play a class that could get stuck in in combat but also had a lot to do out with combat Mm -hmm. Um, I mean granted at the moment um, because he's in the city he's a bit out of his comfort zone but it it makes for an interesting storytelling dynamic because he's seen as a bit of a curiosity by the nobles of the city Um, but some of the other members of the adventuring company are nobles themselves mm-hmm. so it, it's it's a good mixed bag and um, Ch- Charles is so far doing an excellent job of balancing intrigue with, with combat Yeah, you know so, uh, a lot of the time it can go one way or the other mm-hmm. um, I'm really enjoying it so yeah. kill, killed, a, killed a red cap the other day um, have you seen the artwork for them? Don't think so. The, the, the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> they're, they're murderous, no, murderous garden gnome. Basically. Yeah, well, I, 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 because they they really captured my imagination. These little guys. So I, I, I looked them up because I wanted to see where they, where they came from, because, um, more more often than not, uh, all these creatures in these games, ha- are inspired by something. Red caps are actually um, an Anglo-Scottish uh, creature in in their folklore, mm. and th- they are more or less identical to the way that they're portrayed in D and D, where they look like um, twisted, ugly little old men with white beards, oh, okay. and they wear big red pointed hats that they that they soak in the blood of their victims. <laughs> Um, so they're yeah thoroughly evil uh, when you said terrifying. red cap and you said the word murderous the first thing that came to my mind was murderous red cap which is a magic, magic, magic card yeah, yeah but, 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 there you go, that, but this is why it's prevalent throughout so many IPs because it's it's actually taken from I was going to say I'm, it's almost certain that like they will have had the same sort of inspiration the magic one does not look like that it's, it's, yeah. it's <laughs> probably where garden gnomes have come from as well that's exactly what I was thinking which is even more terrifying because red caps actually carry around big scythes or sickles so it's like a a gardening tool have you seen the the giant garden gnomes that they're selling in Asda at the moment like go go to the Asda down like just round the corner from where we live and like they're selling like three foot ones and I'm just thinking who on earth would want that in anywhere near their property especially when you know what they are yeah, <laughs> I know. an enthusiast. Is a... Give yeah. a, give a garden gnome a chance. Yeah. It will kill you. Well, I, I told I told you that um, the the human fighter that was in the party got kicked in the shin by one of the red caps. <laughs> but so red red caps wear these big metal boots, so it, it did like twenty eight damage to him. It floored him and everything. <laughs> Brutal. What a- Kind of an embarrassing way to go in, like a sort of uh, RPG setting. There would be to be killed by a garden gnome, but yeah. <laughs> kicked to death kicked by a garden kicked gnome. Kicked to death. Yeah. But we we managed to dispatch them. Yeah. And um, basically, what's happening is our characters have been hired by one of the denizens of Waterdeep mm-hmm. to investigate a murder. Uh, a bard by the name of Julian. Bizarrely, 
That's right. So my yeah. the, my first ever character in an RPG was a human bard named Julian Ormontagna. Yeah. So that is a weird coincidence. Yeah, it's not. It's not an but this this is a bard named Julian, um, and he stabbed a boy in the middle of the street, mm. and has been arrested. But the the person who's hired us to investigate this murder. Um, knows Julian personally and it's apparently completely out of character for him so we are now investigating this murder and it's mm-hmm. taken us to all the the back alleys of uh, of Waterdeep that's good, so you're like the target of Waterdeep yeah <laughs> well, I, I, well I don't, uh, my character's not really street smart right he's, he's I, I was saying to Charlotte um, he's a bit sort of midnight cowboy at the moment right. <laughs> Fair. He's, he's way in over his head Fair. in the city Yeah, but it, it's going to be interesting when we get out in the wild because he's going to be in his element and the the pampered little nobles they'll be, be the ones yeah, relying they'll, they'll on you they'll be struggling yeah. what, oh, sorry what character is Charlotte playing by the way Charlotte is playing uh, a tiefling a tiefling rogue yeah, tieflings are like the uh, it's like demon people in uh, yeah, like half, in Dungeons half and Dragons. Yeah, yeah. 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 so uh, rogues very Charlotte always plays a rogue, right? Yeah, she, she likes the sneaky, sneaky, stabby, stabby, as she says. <laughs> in that order. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, obviously, you've just started on this uh, new campaign, so. Uh, talk talk us through like the the process that you went through with creating your character and you know things that you like to things that you like to do to sort of flesh out a, a good character to use in a game. Well, I I started by s- selecting my race. I, I knew I wanted to play a dwarf, mm-hmm. and at, at first I was dithering about playing a dwarf because. As everyone's probably gathered by now, that's that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, but I like. I'll... But the the reason that I decided to commit to a dwarf mm-hmm. is, I've played RPGs before, but I've had like a bunch of false starts. Mm. So although I've played a dwarf, I've only really dipped my toe in the water. So I thought, you know, I'm 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 not. I'm I'm still trying something new. Yeah, you haven't properly scratched yeah. that itch. Yeah, yeah. So. But I, I did, because I nearly always play melee characters, I decided to go for the ranger because I kind of like the idea of doing a little bit of both. A bit of ranged yeah. combat, a bit of melee combat, and then also a bit of tracking and things like that. I was like going to say, the ranger's quite a good one to play because, yeah, it gives you the opportunity. Not to, you, you, you're, dec- you're pretty decent in combat, but it gives you that opportunity to do something in like the sort of investigation th- part think, of the game. I think because I'm a dwarf, I'm actually the strongest in the party. Like I, I'm, right. I'm actually stronger than the the fighter. So you you are kind of like the front line then out of the, yeah. the party. You and the fighter. Yeah. yeah. So, no, cool. And I mean, I've I've played in a few different uh, campaigns, a few different systems as well. Tends to be Pathfinder uh, that uh, I play, which for those who don't know is basically an older edition of Dungeons and Dragons with a few tweaks to it and set in a different universe but um so the first character I ever created was as as I mentioned Julian Montagna who um was a human bard 
Uh, one of the things um, that we did, rather than rolling for our stats, uh, we got to uh, choose them. We, we were able to improve certain stats, and if we wanted to, like really get a good uh, statistic, like score in one statistic, we could drop one from like the sort of average ten. So like because I was a bard, and what, bards are great at doing the social thing, like chatting, investigating, and then obviously everything that you do in combat to buff uh, your other uh, players is based on your charisma. So I managed to... Uh, I so you're, you're a support character in combat, and then you can do all the espionage. Yeah, you're, 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 you're basically the lead in uh, like the diplomacy. social and diplomacy. Yeah. yeah. So um, I, I have my charisma ridiculously high, like 18 or 19. Um, but to get that, and to be decent enough in combat as well that I could hold my own if needed, I dropped my um, wisdom down to seven. Which <laughs> now, as I said, ten is like average. So someone with wisdom seven, uh, not very wise at all. So that, but I. So my so for my dwarf, my my dump stat mm. to use the jargon is the charisma. So he's a total grump. No, yeah. no people skills. Charisma of a plank. Yeah. Well, this, but this is it. This is uh, this is one of the fun things to do when you're doing an RPG is when you're acting as your character is to sort of play into that mm-hmm. uh, that dump stat that weakness. So it was so fun playing as Julian, this very charming, very chari- like charismatic, bright, energetic guy. But he had no common sense whatsoever. We were working for uh, a secretive uh, organization. We were uh, working for the Valakur, which were basically, um, to sound a bit glib, the wizard police right. <laughs> in okay. in this setting. And we were supposed to be very, being very discreet. Julian made himself a badge and would enter every uh, everywhere, just saying Julian or Montagna, agent of the Valakur. <laughs> <laughs> it was he was from uh, the, in this setting he was from uh, Galt which was basically revolutionary France as yeah. well which is another thing that I like to do with my characters um, a nice because there can be a bit of confusion when you're doing an RPG as to when you're talking in your character or when you're not talking in your character so if you give your character an accent that's a real easy cue for every uh, the, the DM and the rest of the players to understand right that's Julian talking, right? That's Josh talking out of character and yeah. actually talking about the game. Yeah. Um, so I, I found that uh, really fun, and, and you know, with I, I think everyone feels this about like their very first character that they play a proper campaign, and they're like, I, I'd love to go back to playing him, and uh, he, yeah, it, it sounds overly sentimental, but he does have like a, a special place in my in no, my I, heart. I, I get that. Yeah. Well, for well, for, I I feel that more with um. My uh, my general that I created for my yes my, the the Warhammer campaign we played in, because um, his name was uh, Folkvar. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a, a dwarf lord, but I've I've now actually um, as as um, Warhammer Fantasy uh, transitioned into Age of Sigmar. Um. I, I couldn't quite bring myself to completely start over, so I brought Folkvar over. Yes. And the the way I explained it was, um, during the end times, of the Warhammer Fantasy universe, he 
he found his way um, through the realm of chaos. He was lost in the realm of chaos mm. with uh, with his army, and uh, through time travel and alternative dimension shenanigans, found mm-hmm. himself in the world of Age of Sigma. Timey wimey stuff. Yep, <laughs> and uh, and eventually. Uh, took control of a fire slayer lodge. Right. So, obviously, the story's a bit more fleshed out than that. Yes, that's, that's a but, high level. Yeah, sort of. yeah. But it's, it's it's an example of like you're saying for like forming th- this weird attachment to to this fictional character and keeping that as a as a common thread. Yeah. Through games that you play. What's what's your uh, experience been with like role playing games or like uh, e- even any other games, Callum? That uh, that you you have created a character for. So my first experience of D and D was with a group of guys I played with. I think it was first year uni. It was a mate of mine who stayed in Springburn, mm-hmm. and there was a group of us used to go out to his flat and probably spend eight ten hours over a course of a night and then early morning. Um, Quite, that's quite long sessions that, that's a very long session like, yeah. but this is because we're in uni and nothing else to do yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to be a student again so the character I think when I'm making new characters for RPGs I tend to go for more of a cleric type character mm-hmm. I don't know why it just sort of seems to be the thing I do similar, similar to me then do you, are you sort of drawn to that support uh, class uh, at times I sort of guess so um, it is funny how when you look back, not just in games like D and D, because we were talking about this earlier when we were playing Tyrants of the Underdark, you, mm. you, everyone has this sort of play style that permeates just about everything that yeah. they play. Like I, I always nearly end up using this sort of martial soldier like approach to everything. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm playing things like D and D, I nearly always default to a frontline fighter, huh. and then when I'm playing games where it's like worker placement. I end up using this sort of aggressive expansion, this sort of military approach to it. Yeah. It's weird. See, my approach to character creation has changed a little bit since then, mostly through other games I've played and experiences I've had to play other types of characters and mm-hmm. other play styles. Yeah. So the first one was this cleric type character who does the kind of fun like you, you enjoy it as a child, walks around the place with a massive hammer, <laughs> cracks things over the head with it, yeah. and heals people. Just kind yeah. of fun. But Based on other games I've played, mostly computer games, my playstyle has changed a lot, so it's been altered slightly to more of a kind of stealthy approach mm-hmm. through playing things like Assassin's Creed and Dishonored and yeah. uh, Sticks and all this kind o- of stuff. Older and wiser. Older and wiser, exactly. So yeah. I think it's 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 become more of uh, which is quite funny because your approach to playing Warhammer is the total opposite. Total opposite, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you, like you, you use Warhammer as this outlet for all the stupidity yeah, that you don't normally pretty, pretty get much. to to revel in. It's fun. Yeah. Callum plays as uh, well. They're not called orcs anymore. Iron Jaws, is it? Uh, orcs. Or- orcs. Orcs. Specifically, yeah. the Iron Jaws. Yeah. Yeah. Which are going in beat face yeah. basically. The, the Iron Jaws are like the Uruk High yeah. of Age of Sigmar. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. But I tend to go towards characters that are more the opposite of who I am as an actual person IRL as the jargon goes yeah. ah, so right. ra- rather than be I don't know why this happens but obviously I'm not the kind of person who would be the sort of big strong guy who walks around with a giant hammer hitting people 
I tend to be I would tend to be more on the other side of things. Yeah. Like strategy, hiding at the back. Like if you think in magic terms, I'd be more like Jace. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, sure. Hiding in the back, explain to people how things work and like other people mm. go off and do the, the, the rough and tough stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um But if I get into playing any more D and D campaigns, I think I'd start to veer more towards a stealthy character or a mage or yeah. something like that. Well it is in a similar vein that's why I opted to do the Ranger. Mm. Because my my default would nearly always be like a paladin or a fighter. Yeah. Like a frontline heavy infantry guy. Mm. Whereas I thought I'll, I'd, I'd like to go with the ranger, especially because any time where I've dabbled in those sorts of games before, and you know, I know a lot of people will maybe jump on me here, but I, I do feel with the likes of the a fighter, you don't quite have as much to do outside of combat. Mm. As, as some of other, the other classes yeah it depends on how your, your approach because I'm actually playing as a fighter in my current uh, campaign of Pathfinder which is very much outside my comfort level yeah uh, comfort zone sorry uh, I'm I, I'm used to being the support uh like class and now I'm the guy who's meant to be dealing damage there is something very satisfying mind about just rolling yeah. dice and watching things die but um <laughs> I have. Um, it's all about finding ways of um, of having a reason to uh, do things outside of combat. My my character is the sheriff of this town, so uh, I've, I've given him a couple of skills in like diplomacy, uh, so he that, can that, do that's that. That's where the, uh, the the story crafting element really comes in. Yeah, and I think if you want because to... Because uh, on paper, a fighter mm. maybe doesn't have too much to do. But like you're saying, if, if you give him a role within this universe, mm -hmm. like, oh, he's the village blacksmith, or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Then, then suddenly this guy who was on paper just a thug is now a pillar of the community. Yeah. Um, he's someone that people go to when they have problems. Exactly, and this is and this is the different. This is what makes uh, characters memorable. Is like having, not not them just being numbers on a sheet layers. of paper. Yeah, yeah, having layers to them and having depth. I was gonna. Ask, how how do you guys feel about the um, the classic D and D uh, morality compass? It can be a little bit binary at times. I think. Yeah. Um, especially because. I, like I've, I've mentioned before I do a bit of writing so whenever I watch TV shows or things like that I I can't help but analyse it as the, a builder with a house you, you, you analyse its components you look mm -hmm. at the way it's put together most good stories will see characters altered by what happens to them mm -hmm. yeah the problem you have when you have a morality compass is you limit the potential for characters to be altered by what happens to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in, in, in some ways, that I think this is maybe where you, you start to see the seams in things like D&D &D because you write all of your traits before you start and then you go in. Mm -hmm. So it's almost as though, although you are progressing in the sense that you're gaining experience and you're gaining attributes... You don't. You're not left much room for your character to change, especially if you're locked into a morality. Yeah, and I think that's the the, the key to using that is to use it as a guide rather than a hard and fast rule, yeah. and sort of be aware. You know, 
but the, the problem is for most people it is a hard and fast rule well yes that's the that, that's that's the issue because uh, to, to to use um to use the D compass in comparison to someone like to something like game of thrones you you've, <laughs> you've, you've, no, bear with me yeah jamie lannister when it starts out it's probably chaotic neutral but you're actually seeing them veer more and more towards being some kind of good as the story progresses as he's confronted with the behaviours of his family and the fact that for so long throughout the story he's maybe just been coasting and justifying things to himself mm. and maybe doesn't realise that underneath all of that there's still a conscience there yeah he's still Sleeping with his sister, though, so I don't think he could ever. He, he could never. He could never go into the good. Don't 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 with the spoilers. Leave yeah. the spoilers. Yeah. Uh, oh right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll leave it. But he, yeah. he's he is dramatically changed by yeah. events that befall him. Yeah. And I think he. Most of the characters in Game of Thrones are changed by what happens to them, but for some reason, he really jumps out at me. Yeah, I mean, there, but there's loads of things that happen to him that, that totally change the way he behaves. Yeah. I think one of the biggest ones is his, his arm being spoilers. Cut yeah. off. His I've, arm, I've arm actually, being... I'm, I am aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, because he, he's forced to to completely reevaluate who he is as a person yeah. because he, he defined himself by his swordsmanship, his prowess as a swordsman, mm-hmm. and that was the way he was perceived by everyone else. Yeah. So suddenly where he stood in the world makes no sense anymore yeah. and it's early days for my campaign and I, I have complete faith in Charles as a game master but I think in D&D as a whole um, that maybe the the moral compass is something that it, that it needs to be dropped I, I like the compass idea I know I agree with what you said uh, one of the other issues I see with it is that when you have a moral compass you're acting as a character but if you think of it in terms of the character, they're acting as themselves. Mm-hmm. So their behaviour is already ingrained in them. This is a very good point, actually. And um, I, I played in a D&D campaign not so long ago where uh, we agreed that we were all going to be evil characters of some description. And what the Games Master did, um, my friend Stephen, uh, he, he made the point that evil people don't think they're evil. Yeah. Evil people think they're doing the right thing. Yeah. Uh, that's where the complexity yeah, comes in again. And I think uh, you, I think people can get blinded by the the com- like the compass. Mm. Uh, interestingly, they did try and drop it for fourth edition or simplify it, and then they brought it back for the fifth edition. So I think yeah, I don't think it proved too popular with most gamers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, maybe maybe not the best thing for um, creating interesting and memorable characters, sticking too rigidly. Yeah. To that. Right, yeah, well, look, I think uh, I think that's everything that we wanted to cover off. So thanks very much for listening, guys. Uh, if you've got any questions or any comments that you want to send us our way, please do. We've got us on Facebook. We've uh, got an email address as well that we've got up. Uh, do let us know what you think. Always great to hear your feedback. Uh, otherwise, uh, thanks very much for coming on uh, today's episode, Callum. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem. And uh, thanks very much for listening. Good night. Good night. Good night.